Hello, friends. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon at patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw. If you can't or don't want to support the show, please do leave a review and or share this episode or others that you have enjoyed on your social media platforms. Spreading the word is a great way to support theology in the raw. Okay. My guest today is Dr. Pastor, um, author, leader, speaker, Dan Kimball of uh, Santa Cruz. Uh, Dan is the author of several books on leadership, church, and culture, and is one of the founders of Vintage Faith Church in Santa Cruz, California, where he ser- where he still serves on staff. He's also a faculty member at Western Seminary and leads the Regeneration Project. Dan is one of the best voices I know who knows how to reach a younger, more skeptical, um, more progressive generation. Dan is just a great guy and knows how to reach people because he himself has uh, a lot of the same questions that um, younger people, skeptical people might have about Christianity. So this podcast is long overdue. I've been following Dan for about 20 years, and this is the first time, first time, Dan, that we have actually had a face-to-face or screen-to-screen conversation. So please welcome to the show the one and only Dr. Dan Kimball. All right. Hey, friends. I am so excited about this conversation that we're about to have with the one and only Dr. Dan Kimball. Um, I, goodness, Dan, I have known your name since you wrote, literally wrote the book on the emerging church back when that was like all the hubbub back in the early 2000s and have been following your work for a long time. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, yeah, I've got so many questions and, and I know we're not going to get to them all, but thanks for giving us an hour of your day. <laughs> Yeah, well, greetings from Santa Cruz, California. It's not sunny out. It's cloudy here. So how is it in uh, Idaho right now? It's sunny and pretty cold. Well, highs in the 50s, low 60s. That's something people don't realize about those coastal California cities is you guys have a lot of that coastal fog that sometimes – I know in like Ventura, California, you can go a long time without seeing the sun. It could be cold and water's freezing. Yeah, Santa Cruz is in Monterey Bay, so it's like 80 miles south of San Francisco or so, and uh, it does, you know, summers can be very foggy here. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's still beautiful, but it does get cold for sure in winter. It's not L.A. Yeah. or yeah. San Diego. I've only been there once. Uh, yeah, beautiful town. You've been pastoring there. How, how, long you, how long have you been pastoring the church there? Well, I moved here in 1989. Uh, I was in a band— the band broke up. We were living in London at the time, moved back to America. Uh, the, the bass player actually get a job in San Jose. And I'm like, let's go to California. So we all moved out here. And I really liked Santa Cruz. So I came here and then I was working, then started volunteering at a church, uh, Santa Cruz Bible Church. Then I went full time on the church in 1990. And then Santa Cruz Bible Church planted Vintage Faith Church in 2004. And so I've been with Vintage Faith Church since 2004. So I've really only been in one church 30 years. Wow. Santa Cruz Bible and changing or planting Vintage Faith and stayed uh, stayed here the whole time. Can you describe, for those who haven't been to Santa Cruz or kind of unaware of the, con- of the context, can you describe Santa Cruz to us? Yeah, Santa Cruz uh, is it's a beach town. So that brings a certain uh, cultural vibe to the town in that way um it's uh, it's where they filmed the movie like from 1987 or 8 uh, the lost boys vampire movie so if anybody's seen that that was filmed here the boardwalk and all of that there's a university uc santa cruz and uh that lends a strong flavor to the uh to the town and so it's sort of like a mini san francisco or a beach san francisco or a beach berkeley so that's kind of the flavor. It's very progressive in, in, in all different ways, So, um, which makes it exciting and challenging at the same time. Yeah. And by progressive, I mean, I, really, at, uh, among the most progressive cities, I think, in, in, in America, would that be an overstatement? I mean, we, we think, you know, Portland, Seattle, New York, I mean, they would be right there with the way of, th- you know, a, a more progressive mindset. Yeah, it, I'd say a beach version of that. Uh, okay. Yeah. 
For sure. Yeah, and that's, I mean, in many ways, that's what attracted me to the place because it wasn't, um, or to this town. You know, when I got here there, I remember the first day I went downtown, there was, they're not here anymore. There was like a ton of Harry Krishners, like, like running up, uh, you know, playing music and going up and down. You could just see the diversity in the town at that time. So it just drew me to this place because of that. And that's why I settled here. Mm-hmm. And my friends actually all moved to other places and I stayed and got married and been here since. Wow. Wow. Um, what's, uh, and this is kind of a big open-ended question, but what, what would be maybe some, some of the most challenging aspects of your ministry, given the specific cultural context that you're, that you're ministering in? Yeah. I mean, as if, I mean, I, I, even though the church is now what eight, 18 years old since we planted it, um, it feels like without a doubt, like it's like a missionary venture every day. And I'm not just stating that like with Christian lingo, um, because the Christian church in Santa Cruz, there's some wonderful churches here, but percentage wise, it's very minimal when you look at the population. When you also look at the younger generation population, it's really, really low. Those that are part of, of kind of Bible believing churches in town, it's extremely low. And the university percentage wise doesn't have too many campus groups with with too many students in them. So you are in a it's definitely in a culture of, um, uh, you know, of not very and I've watched it being here for so long, very suspicious of Christianity a lot of predetermined, especially now, beliefs about what church is and what Christians are, which we then are constantly having to, um, you know, say the stereotypes, some of them might be true, if it's biblically true, and then some are not true. So it's, it's I'm not kidding, it's like, it's really, there's not a day that's not a, a mission adventure, especially if you're involved in people's lives. So... Yeah. What are some of the assumptions that people have with Christians there? Like, is it, oh, that's just irrelevant or old fashioned? Or is it like, you're a Christian church, like that's morally evil, you know? Kind yeah, of- well, uh, I would say, again, that I think in the past, the church was, you know, here and everywhere, you know, kind of seen as more, it's backwards, it's bad music, uh, <laughs> and, and all of those type of things. And we've caught up to that, you know, the, the church, in fact, we still have, in my opinion, you know, bad, bad pop Christian music often. But I know music is subjective, so I need to be careful. But uh, what I'm just saying is, like, we've caught up to that. I don't think no one is saying churches are relevant anymore um, or the pastors or leaders aren't, like, you know, they're not stuffy. It's almost the opposite, which actually can backfire in a way, too, from public perception. But um, I just think we are seen, obviously, as, uh, and it's what your ministry focuses a lot on, you know, just like immediately you're Christian, you hate gay people, you're anti this, all of those things. It's just a, a strong reality. Two, last week, two questions came in. We, op- we have a, a seven day a week coffee house that we opened up uh, probably 12 years ago, I think now. Um, and a lot of university students come in. And without going into all the details, we've been tried to, uh, they were trying to, a group tried to shut us down once. Uh, They were, you know, due to theological beliefs, they, um, we, we, last week we had two email, what do you believe? I'm not going to come into your coffee house. I need to know what you believe. So that's the, the, what we're in right now, pretty consistently. How how do you respond? Yeah. How do you navigate that when people assume, like, if you hold to traditional views on maybe sexual ethics that you're therefore might as well be Hitler incarnate, you know? Um. Well, as uh, you know, one, and I know this is even made fun of a little bit, um, you know, like if there's a question about anything about whatever it is, any beliefs um, that we would then say like, you know, why don't you come on in? We'd be happy to talk about with you. And that's always there. And I'd say almost the good news is probably, I don't know if any time when we've met with people about beliefs of any kind that we might have, um, that it hasn't gone overall well. Uh, and, and even if they, even if they don't agree, because meeting in person and talking is an entirely different diff- thing than 
you know, sending out emails and trying to respond to people's very important questions. So it's very, it has to be relational in that way. I'm, so I'm curious on this because this, this is, um, I've had kind of varying perspectives on this in my own journey, but like when you do get that email or may, may, probably not a phone call, maybe a text or email, hey, are, are you fully affirming or not? Or what, what are your views on sexual ethics? Actually, they wouldn't even say that. You know, are you yeah fully affirming? Do you accept? Are you fully affirming and accepting of LGBTQ people? Do you respond like, "Hey, would love to talk about that in person"? And if you yes. do respond that way, do they take you up on it, or do they take that as, "Oh, thank you, you just answered my question"? You know, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I would say what you just said is probably half. Uh, okay, half the time. You know, because it could be about anything. You know, like, do you believe in an eternal hell? Like, come on in, and or 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 not. You know, whatever it might be. Um, do you believe in that Christianity is the 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 one faith, or what about Islam, or whatever? Anything that's uh, that could come across demeaning, hurtful. Um, you know, without the relational like back and forth. If they're sincerely asking we always want to just talk to someone in person. So uh, that's what we do. And if someone doesn't want to continue that, we've off, we always will offer that. But I understand. I totally understand. I mean, you do too. Mm -hmm. Why we're seen like this by many, mm -hmm. you know? And so this isn't a question of, I, I would have the same exact <laughs> feelings yeah. and thoughts about church and Christianity if I wasn't part of a church. I would, um, there's, so I totally understand it. So, um, we deserve the questions we, uh, you know, uh, but that's what, you know, thinking through the lens and the minds and the hearts and the emotions of anyone, um, you know, that's why it's important to be meeting in person. So you're saying when you do 50% of the time, be able to meet in person that that, again, not that there's going to be agreement, but you're saying that 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 conversation typically goes well where some of the heat is turned down. They don't Absolutely. think you're evil anymore. They're like, yeah, I'm not sure I agree with that, but you're, you can, when you see them next week at the gas station, you would say, Hey, what's going on, bro? Or whatever. Um, it's friendly after yeah, that. 100%. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure there's some that wouldn't, I mean, there was an atheist guy that started a couple of years ago. I forgot when it was. We, he started posts. I think it was Facebook, uh, you know, was posting things against Christianity and church and even in a mocking way and then singled out our church. And I remember like I would respond very carefully and, uh, you know, lovingly back. And I'm forgetting the exact thing, but he was atheist. And then I'm in a Mexican restaurant. And because I looked him up and I could see him like, there's the guy. Uh, and and so I'm looking at him. I'm like, and he was reading a book on atheism uh, by one of the main guys in, a in the atheist world. And so I walked over to him like, hey, this is Dan, you know, and he was a little startled. Uh, and then we sat down and we had a wonderful talk, oh. you know, so it, it's, um, it, but see, here's what's really, what, what's important. And I think whether, no matter what theological talk, topic we're talking about, uh, I do think, I wouldn't have said this 20 years ago as much, but, you know, theology and our beliefs, if you're a, a church leader or a Christian, you, it's more we have to know what we believe more than ever today. Mm. Uh, theology and understanding doctrines is extremely critical for church leaders, but also for the average Christian. Mm -hmm. Because I think before, overall culture matched with, uh, you weren't seen as hateful or a bigot or, um, you know, uh, anti-atheist or something uh, in a way even 20, 25 years ago, where today culture, so it was easy to be a Christian 20 years ago, 25 years ago, not easy, but much easier than it is now. Today, uh, because of beliefs, it's much more difficult. And because the cultural winds are directly uh, often pushing against historical Christian beliefs, 20, 25 years ago, they weren't as much. You could, I mean, I can still remember like, being, uh, you know, being up on campus or around town and I can open my Bible and not feel awkward about it. And I still don't feel awkward about it, but now I'm self-conscious about it. Somebody today would see it and like, oh, and start having predetermined decisions about what that means. And I'm, as we are all are seeing, you're seeing people that are leaving faith 
And I think often it is due to if we're not grounded in what we really believe and why, then what happens is I believe it's easier to start rationalizing changes and shifts and maybe beliefs in scripture that um, because it's not to make it easier to be a Christian today or abandon faith altogether. And this goes back, you mentioned earlier, and I'll, I'll stop talking some talking a lot here, but no, no, you mentioned back earlier in the early, in the emerging church days mm-hmm. that it was, this, I, that was generation X and it was like generation X and it was about reaching the next generation. And it was an exciting time because we were rethinking how to go about church because there were definitions. It wasn't just style. Yes, there were stylistic things that were going on with music and, um, you know, and maybe room set up, you know, and the joke was coffee and candles or whatever. Those were very real because there was some stylistic change that was happening. But the values that were changing back then that the emerging church world was originally thinking through was there was a different definition of community happening. Mm. So it was like how an older person experienced community was different than a generation X at the time. It was more like, raw and gritty and you know if really friends you're much more open and um and hanging out a lot more than the casual maybe older generation understanding of community evangelism methods needed to be changing and how we're evangelizing a different generation at the time those kind of things were changing and that's what i was very involved with Mm -hmm. however what occurred back then, and I think it's the same issue today, is that then there are some that weren't just thinking through uh, changes of how you define like evangelism or community or even how you go about preaching or silly things like room environment and, and music, which again is valid, a good thing to pay attention to. But then it was No, we're going to be thinking about changing, uh, rethinking what the gospel is, what the atonement is. How do we view scripture? Um, You know, when you and and I started realizing you can't say the same terms. You have to start asking definitions. When you're saying Jesus, what do you who do you mean by Jesus? Hmm. When you're saying salvation, what do you mean by the word salvation? When you're saying God. And so I think today it's the same thing. If people aren't looking into the depths of surface kind of conversations, you can believe that and then be following a different Jesus. So I really think a different Jesus than the fullness of the scripture. I love right, I your my favorite my favorite book that you've well that you've written that I've read is um, they what is it? Uh, they love Jesus but not the church. Is that the title? Yeah, uh, they, they like Jesus but not the church. They that like Jesus but not the yeah. church. I mean, like that. In my experience, that that a lot of people who say they're rejecting Jesus or their faith, they're rejecting a certain modern specific form of Jesus that's been embodied in the church. And but if you actually look at the raw, radical Jesus of the Gospels, they're, they're kind of on board with a lot of that, at least maybe not all of it. But um, it seems to be a distorted picture of Jesus that people are rejecting. Do would you? Um, I, I might want to return to the emergent church conversation, but I don't know. It's, I feel like my, my, my train of thought's taking me into the more de- the more modern deconstruction phenomenon. Not that this is modern or unique necessarily, but it seems to be getting a lot of press these days that um, whether or not deconstruction is a good thing or bad thing, what are they deconstructing from? Um, how do we even view this? Do you have any, love to hear your thoughts on this. Cause I imagine you, you deal with a lot of, deconstruct people who are deconstructing, whether it's deconstructing from a form of church or deconstructing from the faith altogether. How have you been pastoring people through this conversation? Yeah, well, I think a change. I think what you mentioned when I wrote, they like Jews, but not the church. It was a lot of um, attitude issues, like, you know, which is still there. But I say the criticism at that time was heightened more by, you know, that Christians are all right wing, hyper, you know, Mm -hmm conservatives in that way, uh, you know, Christians are very judgmental. And there was a lot of those kind of things that were coming up. And I think today what shifted, and that's why I ended up writing How Not to Read the Bible, was the Bible is now being surfaced and the Christian beliefs and doctrines are now being 
criticized, not just stylistic things or, you know, uh, typical thing about being judgmental or political. Those things are still very real. Mm-hmm. But now what I'm seeing is the Bible is being used to disprove Christianity or say Christianity is wicked or how can I believe in a God that, you know, um, would murder uh, babies or mm-hmm. and all of these things. So I think what I've watched is the conversation and the criticism has now shifted to theology and doctrine from the Bible. And that's why you're seeing on TikTok, it's flooded, flooded. I mean, if you go on it, you see it. It's flooded with people quoting Bible verses and teaching bits of the Bible and uh, very inaccurately. But then they're saying they're teaching it accurately and they're using cultural context and all the things. So it seems like it's a good a good thing that they're doing but it actually is extremely poor hermeneutics and it's an entirely different shift of how you view the Bible. Mm. But to someone that doesn't know the Bible, then they think this must be true. I don't want to be a hateful person. I don't want to worship a God that kills babies um, and all of these things. And so that's what I'm seeing as more in patterns of deconstruction and those things. It's, it's not just stylistic or attitude things, it's now moved into very core historical beliefs. I can't worship a God that is, uh, you know, a bloodthirsty killer. I can't believe in a God that would require blood sacrifice. If my parents, when I was raised as a child, my parents told me that I was a sinner. Um, That's toxic and that's trauma. And all of these things are stemming from like, those are the things that are being talked about today, and that's theology. That's understanding what we believe and why. So, the, so the, the it is a different kind of deconstruction that's been happening in the last few years. You're saying um, it is if you talk to somebody who is deconstructing along those lines that there are some actual true doctrines, as we would say, you know, or things mm-hmm. in the Bible that that they're like that they're having problems with. How, how do you how do you pastor someone through that? Well, uh, one is uh, every all these questions are really, really good. <laughs> like I keep saying, if I didn't know, I would have the very same questions. Mm-hmm. So all of these questions that come up, and I, you know, and all of the ones I've watched on TikTok and deconstruction stories and all that stuff, they're very valid questions. Mm-hmm. So they aren't just, um, you know, they're not just criticizing. Uh, this is the difference. It's not just criticizing style of music or, or those things anymore. It's and and so I think one is acknowledging these are actually really good and understandable questions. Um, so and then it's for me, it's always asking. So let's like look at some of them, you know, very calm and let's look, walk through it. If you believe memes and, and things that God kills babies from that verse in Psalms or looking at the story of David and Bathsheba or that God uses excess or violence, or mm-hmm. or it's toxic for parents to call you, uh, you know, to be known as a sinner, that a need of a savior. We you then talk through. So tell me why? Where did you hear about this? Why do you think it? Let's look at what the scriptures actually say about it, um, and then it's walking through. There are responses to these things, mm-hmm. without changing your theology. Um, you know, it's not been saying, okay, God didn't use violence. God used a lot of violence. Mm-hmm. The cross is violence. Uh, so we can't, we don't then say, well, God didn't, God didn't order the cross to, God didn't, you know, have the cross in mind. And the blood sacrifice of Jesus was really just the Romans that killed him, not because Jesus was a political mm-hmm. leader trying to, you know, break through the oppressive government or whatever. That's why he was killed, not for sin. And that's what's being said. Then you say, is that true? Then let's look it up and see. So in that way, it's great. There's there's tons of dialogue that could happen. Compassionately listening dialogue. I, I in my own, I guess anecdotal and limited experience, I, I I can absolutely resonate with what you're saying. I think rather than kind of jumping in really quickly at the right answer or correcting, like resonating with some of their concerns. And even like I, you know, I'm personally I'm okay having tensions within my understanding of scripture where I'm like, man, that this text, this passage, this is uncomfortable for me. And I'm okay not 
immediately solving that and coming up with a better answer or whatever. Because for me, the overarching story of scripture is still the most beautiful, compelling story among all the other options. Like I can go, okay, let's look at other religious stories. Are they free from issues? The answers are capital N, O, no. Um, Every religion has its own kind of black sheep, whatever, um, doctrines or teachings. And, and then, okay, so, or, or we can just ditch religion altogether. And that could, that's a whole nother conversation. Do you find a godless world compelling? And to me personally, I just, again, find that doesn't make the problems go away. There's still evil and horror in the world. It just, now you just have utter chaos, which I don't, it, from my vantage point, I just think the only consistent approach to that would be ranked nihilism. Um, and, you know, other people don't see it that way. But for me, it's like I, I don't need to have every problem completely ironed out. I can take the totality of Scripture and say there's a blend of things here that are more difficult than others. But overall, it is a, a it is the most beautiful, compelling story that I – and not just beautiful and compelling, but also as I look at the world, a basic Christian worldview does make sense of it. I mean, a biblical anthropology does say – Yes, you're a sinner. You're wicked. So is that person over there. So is that, you know, why do right. we have so much abuse and stuff in the world? Well, the Bible is not shocked by that. In fact, it tells you clearly that, yeah, people are very messed up and depraved. And um, so I don't know. I, um, but I think what you said, you said something important. I would, at least in my experience, um, and I, I'd probably say this, I, from my from I understand, nationally, this is there. There are a lot of people that raised in great churches, and we got some really great teaching on practical how to do things in life and, and all of that. But what you said, a lot of them were not taught what the Bible is, the grand narrative, as you mentioned it, the whole story of the goodness of God from creation to, you know, through revelation. And when you don't understand that whole story— uh, then looking at little isolated parts from within it, um, even if they're matched together to, to try to prove a case about against Christianity, um, it becomes very confusing. So I do think that's why the Bible Project, you know, it was uh, Tim and John, the Bible Project is so important today. And it's also refreshing because people are hunger to learn. I think theology is the new outreach. You know, like huh. it's not going to be music. Music's kind of almost getting mocked a lot now. The contemporary Christian form of music, at least looking at TikTok and things by those that are leaving faith, often it's like the music, emotionally manipulative. The lyrics are terrible and and all of these different things. I think theology and and churches that take doctrine seriously are going to be the, the way of the future, but doing it with love versus some just in the past have done it just with um you know, almost force, we're right, you're wrong, and no argument. Um, the, the scriptures are truth, but I just, I, I keep saying it, and that's why what you're doing is so important. I really believe theology and doctrine with love is the way forward that churches have to be really thinking about, you know, with love, with everything's about love and community, but man, we got to know what we believe today, and we have a responsibility to teach what believe, and I don't think overall, like there are some threads of Christianity that did it well, um, and then some did it well without love and heart, so they knew the knowledge, but then it was mean and callous. I just think we got to be thinking theologically today and teaching new generations what they believe and why, and the Bible narrative, yeah. like you said. So I, I love what you're saying here. I, this has been something I've been mulling around in my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm pleasantly not surprised, but just like encouraged to hear you say it. Cause I, you know, as I reflect in the past, it's kind of like, yeah, churches that had kind of the, the more, the more culturally relevant, you know, ecclesiology kind of attracted people. And then others, you know, good worship band attracted people. And on the more conservative end, if you had like, you know, solid Bible teaching that seemed intellectual, but it really was, I don't know, more indoctrinating than engaging on a, robustly intellectual level, the cultural issues. What I'm seeing emerging is Christians that are truly um, intellectually honest and thorough and humble, and yet culturally very aware of broader, the broader discussion. Like they won't just say, you know, critical race theory, bad, evil. Here's why they're like, Hey, let's, let's rather here. Here's several books written by critical race theorists that I've read. And, and here's some things they said that were helpful. And here, you know, here's some things I question. And we don't just say like, 
CRT, bad, Marxist, evil, boom, done. Like, well, that's people sniff that out a mile away. Like, have you read a book by somebody who's actually, um, so I, so I guess two questions. One. So you're saying that like kind of almost a new, uh, I don't want to say attractiveness. I don't want to, but yeah, I'll, I guess I'll use that for lack of better terms, like the, the new brand of church that will be maybe more compelling than in the past will be churches that are intellectually thorough, thoughtful, honest, like that's going to be, Huh. Interesting. What, what's that all about um, in the broader culture? That's my first question. Second question. Shoot. I think I forgot my second question. Yeah. Let's just stick with that first one. So that is, I think you're, is that, is that basically what you were saying? Yeah. I mean, I think what you said was, that, and this is, I mean, I I'm always make sure like I by no means am ever suggesting that we change, you know, unless there is um, that, you know, that this is about like hiding your beliefs or being ashamed, which happens, of our beliefs, or changing doctrine, you know, or those type, those type of things. But it means that we almost have to, we have to be more. This is why I think there's a lot of the deconstruction stuff happening. Is often it caught people off guard. I never realized about certain of these things. As many, um, ninety, like probably nine percent of atheists are loving, kind people that leave everybody alone. Right, loving, kind, wonderful. And then there's the one percent that that are the activists. Yeah. And they're out to try to disprove Christianity in the Bible. Again, I understand why. I'd be doing the same thing if I never read, really <laughs> understood the scriptures. Um, but we, but then if that's the world we're in today, then as missionaries in this world, church leaders and Christians have to respond to what the current climate is of beliefs and understanding about faith. And that's why I think in the past we were amiss on cultural things about music and style and formats of preaching and those things. Today, that's not the issue. Today, it's what do you really believe? And I do think we're seeing people leave faith because it's not easy to really believe in today like it was 30 years ago. And if you're not really sure what you believe, you can be swayed into all kinds of beliefs. Mm. And there are, there are Bible teaching churches that will teach like verse by verse, verse by verse, but you never teach the narrative of the whole Bible. Mm -hmm. So you can be in a verse by verse church and not even know the whole Bible story. Yeah. So I just think that's what it means for church leaders and Christians, thoughtful thinking, uh, Christian faith, where the scriptures are all the more central as God's spirit writing through people to form the scriptures to then be, that's, that's going to be the forefront, I think, of what we're doing today, because that also motivate people for evangelism. Without that, I'm not going to think too much about what people are missing because I'm not understanding from scripture what they're missing so, or, or what eternity might be or might not be, whether it's annihilation or it's eternity apart from God, whatever it is, you don't want people to be missing eternity with Jesus. Mm -hmm. That motivates me tremendously to want to keep going here in this town. But if I didn't know that from scripture and the conviction wasn't there, I'd be so passive about it. Yeah. Oh, well, I wouldn't think about it as much. I, I remember my second question now is, is why is this now more urgent than it maybe was in the past? This kind of intellectual honesty, um, being aware of kind of the, the really thoughtful counter arguments. Is it simply, I mean, I, I know it's kind of cliched, but is it the internet? Is it that we're now exposed to all, so many different ideas to where now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. I, I'd have to put it. I got, I have some of my books right here. <laughs> Mere Christianity. Yeah. Right. Like, I'd have to, I don't, I have it in here underlined somewhere. I'm going to paraphrase something C.S. Lewis said. And what was this, the 1940s or the 50s when he, when he gave the lectures for this? I think 50s. He says in Mere Christianity, I'm paraphrasing it, theology is all the more important today. This was back then. Because the more information that is out there, Talking about God, the more wrong information about God there is out there. Mm. And then he says something like what used what was what were beliefs that were that were tried and thought through and rejected in centuries past are seen as new innovative ideas for today. And then he says, like, why theology is so important. That was when television was just being entered oh, yeah. into all of the homes. Oh, yeah. We had print and radio. Think of today. So that is an urgent cry of why theology is important that he gave back in the 40s, talking about the more information out there, the more wrong information is out there. So Christians need to why theology is important to sift through 
what even may sound fresh and new, he says, was old ideas, retold. But if you don't know theology, you're going to think they're all fresh and new ideas. So I think he was prophetic yeah. with that particular observation. I wonder if, too, that in, in our day and age now, in the last couple of years especially, let's say four or five years, there's been such a emphasis on fact-checking and that's fake news and no, you're fake news and no, that's not. Like there really is this kind of like, well, who actually is speaking the truth here? And, you know, and now you can kind of just, if your preacher's saying something that is wrong, you can just Google it. I remember listening to a guy who was, you know, kind of old school preacher, you know, great guy. And I would never, no one would know who he was anyway. But um, I remember he was talking about like, you know, when I was in Israel, you know, I saw the grave of Joshua and Caleb. And I'm like, no, you didn't. Like that. I've been to, I lived in Israel. Like, and I, you know, Google it real quick. They're no Josh. They're in the grave of Joshua and Caleb. They're like, I even texted my, my brother in law who lived in Israel for 15 years. Like, hey, just, I want to double check this. Like, All right. they're no great. Like, they, that's, you don't have that kind of, he's like, yeah, that's, that's BS, you know? I'm like, huh. So I kept listening. Then he said something else. He's like, no, that's not true either. And it made me just kind of discount everything he's saying. And here, just within seconds, I fact checked a couple of things that were BS. And maybe, Maybe he trusted somebody else that told him that, or maybe he's making. I, I don't. I don't want to credit motivations here, but it's like then I kind of checked out. I was kind of like, eh. I, I don't. I don't know what you're. I don't know if anything you're saying is true anymore. So I, I wonder if there there is that pressure to if you're going to stand up and say something, you you better have your facts straight because people will call you on it. Um, right. And if you don't, if you're not sure, at least have the humility to say, hey. Here's this argument, that argument. Here, here, I lean towards this because of such, such and such and such. And I think having that kind of intellectual honesty. Uh, but my generation and above didn't do that. We felt like if we're if we're on stage, we need to have it all. You know, if anybody asks us a question, we need to have the right answer and stuff. And that just one gets exhausting. But you just can't right. do that. You just, you can't do that. You can't be all knowing of everything that you're. You know, uh, having to. But what you said, there. I think what you said was I think really important. I I was once. In my early years of ministry, um, I, I, I said I gave different views of the rapture or something like that. And I had a pastor really uh, intensely say, by you saying there's multiple views, that shows that you're weak. We need to be strong in our beliefs yeah. about what, you know, and I really I'm like, I, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, so <laughs> and I think that sort of, you know, posture was a lot of the and, and still with some churches and leaders today where today, like, or this is this is a practical thing. I firmly believe that churches need to be laying out not just their typical doctrinal statement that doesn't really include many things or just the Nicene Creed. I could believe almost anything and still believe in the Nicene Creed. Like we I think I'm not talking about like um, what's the word? I think what we have to do is what we've done as a church, and I know others are doing this, is lay out what are your core beliefs? What are the beliefs that if you're going to be in a leadership role in any part of this church, what are the things that we all have to believe in in agreement to be in unity as a community mm -hmm. and actually to list them out and, and um, you know, say for, you know, the core, the most important is what is the gospel and because you can't assume people say this mean the same thing anymore. I say gospel, and it could mean so many different things to different people. So I think local churches and Christians have to know when they're saying gospel, what do they really mean? Then you extend out a little bit, and it's beliefs about not when the rapture is going to happen or whether you're amillennial or premillennial is Jesus is coming back one day, um, and there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. If just to hold to that one. And whenever I teach on this, that's say that topic, I always go, he's coming back one day. And through history, here's some different views mm -hmm. that churches have been good people, uh, have taught differently on this issue. What they all agree on is Jesus is coming back one day and focus on that. Creation evolution, it's, it's madness that we argue about this. Mm. I'm not talking about atheistic evolution. I'm just talking about um, did could God have used evolution or did God create like we sh we should not be arguing about that anymore. Um, I mean, yes, did atheistic evolution? Absolutely. And even if you don't believe that God could have used evolution, of course, you have like, was there a literal Adam and Eve and those things? I believe so. You know, but even if you have different beliefs on that, we need to be linking arms today. Don't argue about that stuff. Hmm. But did God create everything? Yes. That's a core belief. Well, do you, you know. 
all of those things. That's yeah. why we have to know it or or it's all wishy. And churches are going to start, they do. They start having internal implosions if leaders are involved and they're believing in all different things. And all of a sudden, this is what it means to be a disciple or this. That's why we have to watch theology before, mm-hmm. more so today because we didn't have to. There was a lot of assumptions before that everybody believed the same thing that were, you know, general Christians, but that's not true anymore. Mm. And that's why this is so important. I was, you know, you mentioned creation evolution. And this is, in, in my, again, in my anecdotal experience, I would love, I would love that there's some comprehensive data on this, but the overwhelming majority of people I know or hear about or whatever that have deconstructed, are deconstructing, there came from an environment that equated an overly conservative interpretation of scripture with Christianity. And I was raised in an environment where if you didn't believe in like literal six days, young earth, um, even complementarian views of, of women in the church and all these conservative doctrines, like these were equated with these are, this is what Chris, true Christians believe. If you depart right. from these, you're departing from the faith. And I just wonder if that, and it, it, I'm not even saying those doctrines may or may not be true. I'm saying to say this is the essence of genuine Christianity, yes. that I think is inadvertently playing a role in the deconstruction. We've tied the bow too tightly on their shoes. And right. then when they start running and say, ah, I need to loosen this up a little bit and say, no, you loosen it up and you're going to lose your shoe. Or, that, I don't know if that analogy makes any sense, but I can't tell you how many it, people... It does make so, sense. I, I can't believe how, how many people that when, when they, they were going to lose their faith over younger theology... Um, and again, I'm not even saying it's, that that's incorrect. I'm saying that was the only way to view scripture. And when they came, they were about to lose their faith or did lose their faith. But then they're like, oh, I can actually believe in an old earth interpretation, maybe a non-literal, there's non-literal elements in Genesis 1 to 11. Like that, that's a possibility for somebody to still hold to the authority of scripture and have maybe a different way of reading some of these, these texts. And once they found out that that is a possibility – they're like, oh, okay, I, I can get on board with that. Have, have you found that to be true? That, that you know, one, it's not, you can't have a thousand percent, but <laughs> yes, a thousand percent, because that is sadly what you hear about, like often. And that's why, um, you know, we don't have the luxury today, in my opinion, of arguing about that stuff. You know, churches and Christians need to, we, like, what you, whether the creation of evolution, God created everything yeah. from nothing. That's what the scriptures say. And we can have disagreements if you even need to have an, a firm opinion on exactly how that happened. I don't know. You know, the, I still think the egalitarian, complementarian stuff, mm-hmm. it embarrasses me on both ends mm-hmm. to see some of the criticism that's happening in the church today, online and on Twitter and all the stuff of like, I read I read a complementarian view of... Um, it said something like, uh, you can't have a healthy church if there's female teachers or something like that. Like, you know what? Don't be public about it then. If that's what you believe, teach it in your church. But all you're doing is fueling animosity, fueling. And, and that's a wrong thing to say, because there are godly, wonderful people who believe in the full inspiration and authority and inerrancy of Scripture who will have differences of opinion on those things. Mm-hmm. And underneath everything is, I keep holding my Bible. I, I take, I love, uh, <laughs> because the scriptures, God used the scriptures to save me, direct me. And that's why the scripture is so important uh, for everybody. But um, cl- figure, it all starts with what, this is my, my question for anybody today is what is your view of scripture? And that is what we should be asking anybody we're listening to, that we're reading their books, listening to their podcasts or watching pod, uh, video is what is the person's view of scripture? Because that is where it all starts. Mm-hmm. How do they, if you don't know that, then it, then it could be anything. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm, I'm, it, I think I'm, I can feel it my, when I'm speaking because we argue about such silly things today that I believe are causing younger Christians and older Christians to like bag faith and we can't, we don't, can't afford that. So let's determine you know, what are the essentials of the historical Christian faith? Love those who have disagreements on the other things and zone in and defend and teach the things that are mm-hmm. most important today. All right. I, again, I, I keep no, talking. Yeah. A lot. I'm, I'm here for you to talk. It's so important. To hear me to talk. 
<laughs> right. Theology is critical today, not for head knowledge, but for life. Yeah. I'm curious at your church, are there things you guys do as a church that may be different than the average church to embody everything you're saying? Because a, a half hour sermon once a week when people are going to church once, maybe twice a month, I, that can't be like the extent of our discipleship of people in this. Do you, do you have different classes? Do you have, are there things that, that we don't have a category for that you guys are doing to help bathe your people in, in sound theology? I mean, probably, I mean, and, and I think in just most normal churches, I hope they all do this, you know, but like say with all of our staff and interns last year, we went through a, uh, a systematic theology book, you know, from beginning to end discussion, going through it. Um, we, in our church, we use four sort of, uh, we say like we're asking God to transform us uh, into a worshiping community of missional theologians. And hmm. we use those words and the word theologians in there because we start out with worshiping. We're all worshipers for, in this life and for all of eternity. But then we're not to be in isolation. We're meant to be in community. So you need to be a worshiper in community uh, in local churches, whether a house church or mega church or Anglican or pop rock. Or, I mean, the local church is critical to someone's spiritual formation. We need to be in community. But then it's not a community on a mission. There's a lot of churches that stop there. We worship God. We're in community. We love each other. We love each other. We love the past. We want to be together. Like. Mm. Then you got to be on, but that's not why we exist. We exist to be on mission, mm -hmm. and if you're on mission, means you're engaging in the with people, and then people are going to ask questions, right? So that's why the theology part is important because how are you going to explain your faith mm -hmm. and the the important questions? But if you're in, if you're theology thinking, it should melt our hot hearts to be worshipers again. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about those four things all the time. You know, and, and we will be very consistently going, whether it's the, every every summer we have school of theology from elementary age up to up to adults. Um, it's just like we have to be teaching what we believe and why all the more, but in a thoughtful yeah. approach and humble approach. You know what I love about this is it's, a, I mean, I hate to say it, but. It, it's a little unpredictable because most churches that would resonate with everything you're saying are going to be a little more traditional old school in their form, which again, nothing wrong with that, but you guys are like a pretty, I don't know if hipster is the right word anymore or whatever, but like you're a pretty culturally like uh, relevant church that um, is very up to speed on, um, yeah, aware of the cultural surroundings. You're not like a super right wing Republican only, whatever, um, church and yet you still value <laughs> i hate to say it and yet you know <laughs> mm -hmm. right. like, there, there shouldn't be the need to say i know right. but that but what you're saying is i mean even the type of people that you're reaching santa cruz millennials probably largely maybe gen z um some gen xers um they're going to be very thoughtful um typically people that are more progressive are more more liberal i don't know if liberal is the right term but um yeah, they're they're really thoughtful. They're readers. They 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 think through things. They have hard questions. They have problems with Christianity because largely a lot of intellectual reasons. And so you to be on mission, you have to be theological, right? You, I mean, you, you can't absolutely. You know, be ready. To, I mean, um, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In other words, He's Lord. How I respond in our lives, but be ready to answer anyone who asks you. Right? That means you have to be in relationship to give the hope that you have and do so with, not with just facts and what you need, but with gentleness and respect, mm -hmm. respecting that other people have valid views. So, um, you know, but it's also an approach. Like we did, I was, I was leading uh, like almost like a volunteer, a, um, a group for, with, of college students a couple of years ago. And we just did it again last week with our staff. And we found some of the most updated on TikTok, you know, revisionist arguments about the scripture, about certain theological issues. Mm -hmm. So what I did was we printed them out, not giving answers, divided up in the, with a bunch of college students in, in groups and said, how do you answer this? Mm -hmm. What would you say? Because just reading them, it certainly seems to, you know, be in a disagreement with historical Christianity, but it's using Bible. And, and so we let them try to problem solve and think it through proactively preparing them for these questions or ones that they have, and then responding gently and lovingly with how does that work, work through with this the narrative of the whole Bible and, and theology. So it's also 
trying to have them think and why, again, why do they believe is really important. Because you keep saying it, I know we're, we're kind of repeating ourselves, but it's so important to remember, like we are in generally, I'm actually embarrassed by some Christian music today, so I didn't just say that, but I, I wouldn't put that out as like, hey, look at how re- relevant we are with Christian music today. But no one's arguing about the music. We're not embarrassed generally by music and fashion and everyone's dressing normal and all that now. But but what we what I am embarrassed about is how we are representing the truths of the scripture that the Holy Spirit gave us so that we know what we believe. Yeah. And we, we shouldn't be embarrassed of them. We should be embarrassed how they're sometimes treated by Christians. But that's why I know we keep cycling back to this. Yeah. But it's it's really important because, you know, back we mentioned like in the emerging church days, that's what happened. That's what I realized was it was different, but it was still the same thing. And it's happening at an accelerated rate today of um, because of Internet and TikTok and those things. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened? What happened to the emergent church? I'm curious because I mean, back in my day, that was when I was in seminary. I was in seminary 2000, 2000 mm-hmm. to two thousand three, and that was the big discussion: the emergent church. And and then sure. I remember like some people, some leaders, kind of went more, went, you know, a lot more liberal, and and you and others stayed very orthodox. Um, ate the meat, ate the meat, and spit out the bones. And then I went on to do a doctorate and got had a family and kids and everything. And now then I woke up one day. I'm like. Whatever happened to that? <laughs> like, is, it, is that is that still a, a helpful category, or did it kind of just morph into other strands no, of I mean, evangelicalism? Yeah, the, the label, you know, was. I mean, I wrote a book called The Emerging Church, yeah. so like part of that was also um, it was the terminology that was being used because it came from Leadership Network. You know, that was saying like what um, uh, advanced scouts for the emerging church. Cause they were always looking for what's ahead. So mm-hmm. that was kind of a term and a phrase that started being used emerging church. What's the emerging church doing to reach the next generation. Oh. Um, and that's kind of what it was about, you know, just like every so often we'll have a wave of what, what do we have to change to reach this next generation? Um, but like you said, there were some that weren't just changing, I don't want to over over oversimplify it, but not just changing methodology, but then we're changing theology in very core issues. And here, here's the thing: time tells. Um, I'm still active in a local church. Many of those that I know that were in that whole discussion are still active and thriving, and 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 churches. And those that I mean, I don't want to, again over stereotype, but you can just look them up. Those that went in different directions, you didn't, I don't, some of those, most of them, I don't even think are in existence anymore because there's no, here's, I think the difference. Once you take evangelism out and it becomes like the, the, we have no need for the atonement. We are, we are not, you know, God loves everybody, which he does. Um, There's no need for the sacrificial uh, atonement of Jesus and the blood for our forgiveness then there's no motive to share that. Hmm. And, 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 and there's not a compelling, because the churches that keep going, we're not just, most of them, we're not doing it just to be insular, like let's have good community and all that. We're doing this so that people that don't know the true Jesus and hear about the true gospel can hear about that he, he died for us, he shed his blood for us, and that there is life and new forgiveness in the hmm. spirit, and there's hope in this world and purpose. I want as many people as possible to hear that. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that as a driving in you, then your, your church will just dissolve. It'll just be an end. And that's what I think happened with a lot of those that went in that direction. Yeah. Wow. Are you? And there are others that are, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. No, I, I yeah. I, again, anecdotally, that, that does make sense. Um, how did, I'm curious, and, and I know we're coming up on an hour here, um, in a few minutes, how did you guys weather the pandemic and not just pandemic, but all the politically driven divisions and yeah. masks and no masks and vaccines and this and that. And did, was that, did you guys get hit hard with that? And how did you manage that? Yeah. I mean, it, it, I, as with everybody, like everybody, just whether you're in church leadership or not, it was obviously, what are we doing tomorrow? I mean, the, the joy of it was that many church leaders, like say here in Santa Cruz, like, you know, we were constantly talking to each other. What are you going to do? How, are you going to, you going to go outside inside? Like, you know, what, what are you going to do? Um, we, we were no, we didn't stream videos or anything like intentionally before. So we had to do a lot of catch up for that as a local church. Um, 
Because I don't the same thing. We're I mean, this is just a personal thing. We don't we weren't trying to save uh, Santa Cruz. I'm sorry, you know, Sacramento or San Francisco. We're a local church embodied in local Santa Cruz. And we're not trying to extend into different towns that we don't live in and things. So that's why we didn't have any of the technology set up for streaming and different things. Um, so it was a lot of catching up. And then we didn't really, I would say we didn't have, there's very few incidences of like, you know, you're going over on the, the Black Lives Matter stuff or you're going over in, uh, you are going overboard in, um, you know, you shouldn't be obeying the government and we should be able to still meet because we're, we're not the church if you're not meeting. I think our church avoided most of that. So in that way, I, th I think it was sort of a cult. We, we didn't, I mean, I've talked, I know two churches that lost like a thousand people, like they, because there's disruption. I, I think there are certain churches that the, you know, the leaders went, in my opinion, kind of bonkers and, um, um, and, and then just made messes and, and so I hope, I hope it was a result of thoughtful Christianity, which then didn't cause giant upsets yeah. with some of that. Well, um, my guess, I mean, I've never been to your church, Dan, um, we could fix that at some point, but my, my, my hunch is you probably didn't have a ton of like super right wing Jesus is Republican kind of Christians at your church. I would, I would assume that your church would probably be theologically orthodox yet socially, politically, maybe center left of center or, or so, or yeah, is that I, I mean, because I know for, I know our staff and I would just say there's, there's a variety of political opinions of it, okay. um, out there. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you, you know, in terms of the voting aspect of things, but, um, you know, but I would say, uh, that, that didn't end up surfacing in a, in a, cause we, we, we respect all views if it's not contradicting scripture. So, um, and I think that's, that's the same thing. How, do, how should you vote in our church? We don't talk about, it. we talk, here's the truths of scripture Here's and, and let that determine how you see this playing out in, in various policies or whatever politically. But we don't ever talk about those things, but we talk about the truths that then hopefully are training people to then understand what's in alignment with directions politically or not. Okay, that's helpful. Are, are you, are you, as you look ahead, next two, three, four, five years, are you hopeful? Um, obviously, you're hopeful, you're a Christian, but um, do, do you mm -hmm. feel like there's more serious challenges down the road in terms of discipleship in the church. And again, there's always gonna be challenges, but are you like, man, we need to, yeah. Where, where do you think the church is yeah. going to be in five? I, I, I think, um, I'd say the biggest danger, I, I know I, I, I've said this not 10 times, probably, but it's so important. I think the biggest danger churches believe are not being loving. Um, most, a lot of churches are loving. Some aren't, I know. Um, some are, some are toxic, some are wicked. I understand that. Um, but again, most aren't, and I don't think it's really, we love neighbors overall, I think, okay, you know, pretty well, but what I don't think we're doing is, um, an atheist can love their neighbor An atheist can, um, you know, help the homeless and do, um, an atheist can be kind and, and patient and demonstrate even certain things of the, the spirit not saying it's not the spirit doing it, but just in general. Um, and I just think the issue is going to be more like, do we really know what we believe and why? Because I think the waters of belief are pressing so hard that unless you have your convictions of what you believe and why, it'll be very easy to disbelieve or turn our Christian faith into something that historically it's not. Um, I think that's our biggest challenge in the years to come. I think there's a lot of people in churches that have doctrinal statements that would be normal, decent doctrinal statements. But if you then and actually surveyed the people in the churches, it'd be very different from what the church actually believes. Because so I don't know, that's kind of been my thematic yeah. um, thing. Um, you know, so but I, I have hope because I, I have hope because of things like the Bible project, right? Because there's a hunger, I think, to learn, right? There's a hunger to learn the goodness of God from Genesis to Revelation. There's a hunger to learn if a Christian has being taught certain beliefs, even the difficult ones about morals and ethics that go maybe clashing with culture uh, values. Um, 
then there's a hunger to learn why. And so in that way, I think there's great hope um, in seeing the interest in this. Uh, there's a there's a non-Christian guy that we we buy in our coffee shop buys our beans from this uh, this local um, um, uh, coffee company. And he was walking in our hallway when I was meeting with him once and he saw a, a word on our wall that said theologians. And everybody's like, what's that? And he's like, and I said, like, want to be thoughtful and thinking what we believe. And he and he takes his hand and he whacks it. He's like, man, I hope more Christians are like that too. <laughs> so because I think that's respected then, you know. So that's kind of a hope. But I really do think we gotta know what we believe, or there will be a washing of many people that maybe are part of churches and they never maybe that maybe they're not even regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We've taught many generations just to go along with Christian church, their their church, their um, I don't know the word, their their church involved, and they might even have this is another criticism. They might even have the endorphins and the dopamine that are popping from wor- musical worship experiences. Mm-hmm. But then after that, um, what do they believe? Uh, that that I, I I don't know the guy, so I can't say it. But you know, there's a famous or uh, well known guy that went deconstructed his faith publicly and he was a music leader and all that. And he said something so fascinating. He's like, I was at a Coldplay concert. And then I realized I had the same emotions that I did when I'm leaving worship. And I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, why is that, why is that even a surprise? Um, but, and I'm like, was he really not taught that? Like, you know, that, but I do, what a church is doing today, you know, his presence is now with us. When we got the, you know, why is it always when the lights are down and there's, you know, and there's and the moments are emotional in the room and that's now. Now, do you feel God's presence? But why don't you why don't you, don't you realize that God's presence is with you in the, the parking lot afterwards, you know, on your home? And I think we've again, I think we've, that's what we got to be counteracting, because then people might have a church experience. And even I, I don't this is I'll say uh, and I'm talking fast. so I need to make sure I'm not saying something bad, but like. How do you know you're even saved if you're basing most of your beliefs on the worship experience and the emotions that happen mm. in a church, but you're not really believing what you believe after? Mm. Because that only lasts temporary, and you're seeing a lot of drift happen because they're not thinking about what they believe. And maybe their faith in, has been more on the experience than their actual convictions of, I believe in Jesus, Savior, sin, atonement. Um, I repent. I just gave a whole message on repentance a week ago, you know, like, and from that I'm fallible. I'm, I goofed up. I'm, I'm going to have to repent every day, 50 times a day, but I understand what I believe and why. Um, I just think that's missing very often in the culture of churches that we have set up today. That, that is that's another, what I'm most frightened just, about. Yeah. Just to affirm, I mean, it, it's another source of deconstruction I've seen, you know, kind of like what I said earlier about an overly conservative interpretation of scripture being equated with Christianity and but then also like an emotional experience being equated with salvation so that when you know you have that early on in your journey and maybe those emotions aren't there later on or maybe you go through a season where for whatever reason you don't sure. quote unquote feel God's presence and, and and not to discount obviously the emotional we're whole beings and emotions are part of that and that can yes. accompany an encounter with God but if we equate that emotional experience with being genuinely saved, then the natural byproduct is when you don't have that anymore, well, must not be true. must not be Christianity anymore. Or kind of like marriage. Like if you equate a healthy marriage with the falling in love feeling that your body chemically sustained for about a year and a two year and two and a half years with love. And then when those go away, you're like, I guess I'm falling out of love and that's leads to divorce. Absolutely. Um, it, it's a both, it's both emotional and uh, I don't want to say intellectual, emotion, emotional and knowledge. It's both. Yeah. The marriage example is perfect. Mm. There are times when it's super emotional. Mm-hmm. Other times it's you don't feel the emotions as strongly, you know, but your love is not based on emotion. Right. Uh, it's based on commitment and conviction and your, your, the promise that you made. So I think that's good, you know, because then there's churches that have just been so much just on the knowledge without the emotion. Sure, like, absolutely. Head knowledge, head knowledge. So it is, it is both, but I'm seeing a criticism from a lot of, because I'm watching on TikTok, a lot of former, you know, and they use the word evangelicals or ex-evangelicals, um, they're now criticizing the music. 
and they're saying that was emotionally manipulative. And that's why they had all the experience and it wasn't really an experience. You know, so I'm now seeing that being repeated, saying from ex-evangelicals that the emotions were what they were part of it. And that and one was even, a, uh, I rep, just was looking at one that was a, on a worship team and they're deconstructing the whole thing. We would plan out the songs to have like the highs, the high emotions and then the fist pounding you know, when the drums come in at a certain time and build up, then we'd have times of quiet. And often we could then hear people crying. And so then it would uh, have more people crying during the silent parts. And then and now this woman was just saying, like, it was all really manipulating people, yeah. which it could be. And if we're not teaching, that's the powerful emotion. But then not intentional manipulation, but it's it's both emotions and knowledge. And I just think that the churches that have been too hardcore you know, you know, sin, that's not the right word, um, you know, doctrine, 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 doctrine only, yeah. um, with no love and compassion and thoughtfulness, you're losing them today. Mm. If it's all just surfacey, sort of that, we're losing them today. That's why it's got to be both. Yeah. Dan, thanks so much for your time, man. Really appreciate your ministry. And uh, yeah, it was great getting to know you over the last hour and hearing your heart and many, uh, yeah, blessings on your life and ministry there in, in Santa Cruz. That that's that truly is a challenging context, and I think you're the right, obviously the right guy to to, to do that. So yeah, and it's all over to like you know you can be in Nebraska and you got some of the same yeah. challenges as Santa Cruz now yeah. because of internet, social media. So a lot of it's uh, hmm. you know I think pockets in this in America were always like you know the hot you know anti-Christian ones ever it's kind of like all over and I know there's the generation before as they start dying out I think it'll accelerate and change even more in a generation ahead mm-hmm. so it's so if you're in Nebraska right now <laughs> so you're true. in it too <laughs> or you're in Idaho I know Idaho has a lot of different pockets all over oh, the yeah. place no, so, Idaho's, yeah. yeah it defies the stereotype oh. for sure yeah right all right, man. All right. Have a good well, day. Thank Appreciate you so much. It's great. That, I mean, I could talk to you for five hours. <laughs> Take care.